But I think a challenge for Biomes by Business is that in the past, it has always been more theoretical than practical. Um, there are lots of books and TED Talks and, and, and things online about this subject. Um, but it is quite rare to find clear business case studies, which I think, as I said, is where, where your book, Nature of Work, really stands out. Um, I think it's not enough now to read about or hear about these ideas. People want to know how they can put them into practice within their own teams and, and organisations. There are things in, the, the, in nature that we could never survive with without, and they have a bigger purpose than others, but we shouldn't judge each other by one person's sense of purpose, you know. Driving a bus has got as much purpose as someone running a big multinational organization. But purpose for me does matter both on an individual level and uh, on a corporate level. So two guests for us today, Shim, we've got Mark Catchlove. Mark leads Miller Knoll's Global Insights Group. Miller Knoll are specialists in, I'll say kind of office furniture design, but there are a lot more than that. Um, He's responsible for sharing the latest thinking on workplace design and issues around that. Um, he's been uh, with uh, Miller Knoll, as they were Herman Miller, um, for uh, more than 20 years and is uh, and runs their insight series where they really kind of bring thought leadership into into their own industry. Um, and our other guest is Lucy Colclough. Um, Lucy's the founder and creator of WorkWild, um, which is a uh, an organisation she set up to bring biophilia, biomimicry into the world of work. Um, she connects business with nature. Uh, she leads and designs bespoke workshops in this area and, and really has had a significant impact in I'd say kind of popularising the idea and the concept of the merging of nature and, and work. Um, they were uh, really good to talk to. Quite a few challenges there from Mark, I thought. I think that's what we want, though, isn't it? We want to be challenged. You don't want everybody to, to just say how wonderful something is, but to say, to push you forward. And it was it was really helpful, I think, hearing that challenge to think about what's mm. next for us and how we can help, uh, as he put it, to take, <laughs> find a pop single out of the concept album. Yeah, that kind of reminded me of listening to bands like Yes and Emerson, Lake and Palmer and Pink Floyd. And, Pink Floyd. You know, <laughs> all those kind of bands and, and, and sort of nine-minute drum solos. And, of course, you need a single. Um, so we've got the concept album but now we need to get the single coming out of it. But then he sort of gave us a way of doing that, didn't he? Which was in the ask uh, questions that we have at the end of each of the 12 elements of the book, we, we've, got, we've got those that he says keep releasing them in bite-sized chunks um, for, you know, to kind of hook people. Um, so that was, that, was, that was good. I mean, Lucy's so eloquent isn't she um not the markism but you know she kind of i think really articulates how almost inevitable and and inspiring it is to bring the world of nature into work and i i love that she said that not only is it the right thing but that's what people are really looking for in the world of work yeah i think having mark and lucy on together feels like it really reflects the two groups that we talk about quite a lot um, within within the episode itself, the idea of this senior leadership group and then people who are at the start of their careers as well. And, you know, you, you hear about ageism in work, for example, that applies to people who are potentially at the end of their career as well as people who are at the beginning of their career. And I think just having that spectrum of voices shows how much inspiration and life and knowledge there is across the whole spectrum of people who are working um mm. and the one thing that struck me particularly was this idea of middle management and we spent a little bit of time speaking about the pressures on that group of people to be able mm. to do the work that they need to do but the difficulty in 
having to embrace change at the same time um that really struck me what do you what did you think about this idea that mark had that actually if the book nature of work looked a bit more like a business book it, w- it would be more kind of almost not quite more popular but appeal to a different audience that it's a little bit embarrassing to just look at this book that <laughs> what did he, he said something like it looks like a kind of the book david attenborough would have written about work or something like that yeah, the idea of being sat at your desk trying to look like you're learning, but having a, a photo of an axolotl in front of you. Um, <laughs> it does raise an interesting question because we were very purposeful and intentional about what we wanted the design to be. Um, mm. And at the same time, the idea that it is potentially a barrier raises an interesting question of do would we explore a more black and white um for example, paperback version, um, in order to make it more accessible to, to different demographics. Um, it was an interesting question. Mm. Yeah, yeah. I mean, certainly the the idea of the uh, the nature work field guide has come up. You know, what's the kind of implementation handbook, if you mm. like, um, re- relative to it? I mean, clearly. Um, you know, where this desire to kind of bring to life stories, case studies, um, examples that Lucy talked about and, and how important those are. Um, anyway, let's listen to the conversation with uh, Mark Catchlove and Lucy Colcloth. And happy book anniversary, Paul. Oh, thank you. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, happy book anniversary to you. So um, the context for this one, uh, for this uh, episode, is the uh, Nature Workbook anniversary episode. So it's now a year since Nature of Work, the new story of Work for a Living Age, uh, was published. And Shim, I know that you've got no recollection of the actual launch because you were suffering with covid at that time but it did happen and the book did get published that wasn't just a dream um, that actually it, happened. It, well it, it it wasn't no it wasn't <laughs> just a dream though parts of it might feel like that that's the kind of thing with the past is it's part of it can feel like did that really happen so we wanted mark and lucy to have a chat with you both because you've both been close to the book since it came out and really would like to just know what what impressions if you like what lasting impressions has the book left on you can i can i start by asking that question of you lucy yeah absolutely um well i remember finding out about the book and i remember ordering the book and it arriving in the post and it just being such a a work of beauty you know you open it up it's full of all those wonderful full color photos i've got it on the desk in front of me here it's it's really great experience flicking through it and I guess what it's left me with is just this sense of uh, hope, I suppose, and excitement because nature-inspired work or bio-inspired work and business, it seems to be really gaining ground um, around the world now. And the fact that there are businesses out there already operating in this way. Uh, one of my favourite parts of the book is the case studies that you include. So sprinkled throughout are these fabulous case studies. Um, you've got some really big names in there, you know, Lego, McDonald's, Vodafone all of these huge organisations. And it's really exciting to see the way that they're working and the way that they've already incorporated some of, if not all, but perhaps some of these um, these principles into the way that they're working. So it's just exciting, I think, to see where this is going to lead over the next 12 months or so. And we touched earlier on the Nature of Work Festival or the online event that we were involved in. And it was great to see so many people, you know, um, not perhaps directly uh, linked to the book, interested in this in this topic so people signing up and joining sessions about nature inspired work so it's very obvious i think that times are changing and we're right here in the middle of it you know talking about the book working on the book collaborating together so it's just fantastic it's been a really great experience throughout oh thank you thank you so much and thanks for um kind of leading us in 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 that way and mark what impressions has the book left on you mark yeah, and interestingly, again, when I first received the book, I kind of thought, well, it's true, business books don't have to be boring and black and white. And I thought that was quite a, an incredibly brave move and a refreshing change. And then as I started looking at it, I suddenly 
I always think about this, that if we've got a problem, let's just turn to nature. And that has happened in our world of product design, of looking at, uh, you know, many areas. Biomimicry is often somewhere out there has the answer. So it's been interesting to see this then applied to business. But the other thing that sticks with me, Paul, and you may remember this, is our debates in the past about digital versus physical. And this was refreshing in that, it, it, for me, it kind of brought back everything to being physical and that digital serves the physical as well. So that's the kind of impression that it left with me. And I will say the bits that I like, uh, like Lucy, like your case studies, for me, it's the ask yourself section at the end of every book. And I've got some thoughts and ideas about that a little bit later. I'd love to share with you. Oh, do you want to share them now? Well, I think they could be published in a standalone document just because you almost don't need the context of every all the rest of the book. That If you wanted to ask yourself, you know, do 12, 12 monthly challenges for you in a business world, I think each one of those ask yourselves would be a good monthly meeting discussion starter because there it encapsulates what you said and then gives you the what about it stuff. You know what? what's interesting is that that is almost exactly what we have been doing inside of DWG for the last, maybe not 12 months, but um, over the last year is we've been taking each of the elements and really exploring what does this mean for us using some of those questions um and the way that we did that is i we've mentioned this on the podcast before but we split into two groups so we had a senior group of senior leaders and the management team and then a younger group that we called i can't remember we called ourselves the gen y group the gen z group i've lost track of which generation i am (laughs) and future (laughs) generations but a younger group who and we both tackled the same element each month um, and it's being used to really interrogate who DWG is and to what extent are some of those principles already embedded in the way that we work and to what extent are they not and what do we need to change and possibly introduce that's new as well and so Mark that that feedback on the ask yourself questions I think is really pertinent because I think one of the one of the debates that we had while we were writing the book was what do we want to finish on? Do we want recommendations? Actually, that's quite hard to do. But the power of a good question elicits much more insight for the reader. And Lucy, I know that you see this in your own work as well. Mark, I'm sure you see it in your work is the power of a question for somebody to then reflect and have some time to think through, okay, what does this evoke in me? And what does it make me reflect on? Um, so thank you for that feedback. I think it's definitely something that for us as we go forward, um, that area of asking the right question and taking the ones in the book and thinking through what new questions do we need to be asking is something that we want to do. And I just wanted to, so I mean, you know, I mentioned this idea of two different groups, the senior group that Paul was a part of. And when I say senior, I mean senior leadership <laughs> Uh, versus the younger group Um, and it reflects something that we've been seeing over definitely the last few months which is there's a massive appetite from those two groups senior and people kind of who are earlier in their careers we've seen less interest from kind of what you would call the middle managers and I don't say that I, I know there's that can be seen as quite derogatory but it's not meant in that way it's just the people that are between those two groups and I'd just be really curious to know what you make of that um, in terms of the kinds of people that are being drawn to the idea of nature of work and, as you call it, Lucy, bio-inspired work and the kind of lack, I don't want to use the word lack, but there's been less resonance so far with people in that more middle range. So maybe, Lucy, starting with you, I'd just be curious to know what you make of that. Yeah, it's interesting, isn't it? Because I think perhaps you'd expect those middle managers or the people that are sort of in the thick of work to be the ones that are looking for new and better ways of of doing things. It reminds me of a conversation I had with Paul a little while ago, actually, about um, 
the, the reasons that people come to bio-inspired business or the four doors to bio-inspired business or biomimicry. And I think traditionally people talk about three doors. So nature, um, you know, perhaps you're already in, interested in nature just for the sake of it. You just love being outdoors in nature. Maybe you're an innovator and you like the idea of new things and, and doing things in new ways. Um, perhaps you're into sustainability, so you're looking for greener ways of doing things, better ways of doing things for people and planet. Um, but then in talking with Paul, you know, I realized there's perhaps a fourth door, which is, I think at the time I called it the desperation door. <laughs> um, but Paul, after chatting with Paul, we renamed it dissatisfaction. So, you know, perhaps you're just dissatisfied with the way that you're working at the moment. You're, you know, you look around you and you're not happy with the way things are. Um, I think it's easy to see why younger people are drawn to bio-inspired business. They're new to the world of work. I suppose I class myself as, as part of this group. I uh, graduated only a few years ago. And so when I joined the world of work, I was new to everything. So looking around and what people were doing, uh, there's a bit of a distance there, I think. You're not fully in, in the system yet. So you're able to question things. You're able to see what you think about what people are doing. Does that feel right to me? Should we be doing those kind of things? And then older people or more senior people, those that have been working for a bit longer and perhaps more senior in their, in their role, I think as well, they're able to put more distance between themselves and the ways that they work. You know, they're, they're able to look back with hindsight and think, gosh, what would I have done differently? They've probably got more time to think about their needs and their wants when it comes to work. And then I think crucially, more agency to start putting things into practice and making any changes that they may like to see in their in their organizations. I think as we've as we've seen, the problem is uh, with those people in, in the middle. So the people in the middle, they're right in the rat race. They're right in the thick of it when it comes to work. And it's hard to embrace new ideas when you're under so much pressure to do well and to conform and to climb that career ladder and to get on, um, you know, in tune with current ways of working. Um, and it is quite ironic, I suppose, as these are the people that these ideas will be most beneficial to. Um, but as we've seen, I think those that are new to the world of work or those that are reflecting and, and looking back, um, they're more open to new ideas. They have the more brain space, as it were, to adopt these kinds of new ideas. Something you said there that really resonates with me, which is actually those people who are more in the middling part of their career are so often under the cosh of having to get things done, having to kind of being responsible for the day to day and making sure that things actually get done, that they haven't got the mind space to be able to step back. Um, and we hear so much at the moment about burnout, about back to back meetings. And I think it is often that group that is affected by that. Um, and Mark, does that, as what Lucy shared, does that reflect with your own thoughts and experiences about who has the headspace, I guess, to be to engage with this kind of thinking? Yeah, I think absolutely, I agree. And I think if you think about the last two years, your timing of the book should be incredibly well received. However, probably the the region, uh, sorry, the group that suffered most are middle managers because middle managers have been more threatened by the new ways of working than any at any other time. Because before COVID, people started talking about it and they could you know, back off and, and give their views, whereas suddenly the views of, uh, uh, were no longer being heard. Everyone was being told, you've got to go and work in this way. And that has absolutely affected middle management. People that are building their careers uh, and I, I did hear, uh, I worked with a guy called Rex Miller, who did another one of our talks for us, and he talks about the crusty middle, the kind of crusty middle management that are struggling because they're stuck doing all this stuff, but also they, they one of their biggest challenges is trust. And, and then suddenly they've been under all the pressure. Listen, the last thing they've got time to do is to read a book because uh, that that is... That's the challenge, I think, from this this uh, area is that they're also trying to impress. You know, they're trying to get on and, and be very busy and do lots of stuff. And I think that the fact that it's launched during this time has been a problem. And then now I will tell you the downside of a beautiful book is that it doesn't look like a business book. Uh, and, so, and so to be seen reading this book at your desk if they've been at their desk or, or you know, it, it doesn't feel like 
giving confidence to other people. It feels like you're reading a David Attenborough special. You know what I mean? So, so, so it, it kind of, and, I, and, and that sounds quite jolly, but I do think appearances matter in that, in that era, in that area. So, you know, so, you know, some of the best books are, you know, the ones that are for dummies, but you wouldn't find a middle manager openly having that on his desk, if you know what I mean, So or her desk. So That's such an interesting insight, because I think the, the way that it was designed was very purposeful and intentional to break that boundary. And it's, I have not heard that reflection before, but I think, yeah, I, can, I understand completely that if you're sat at your desk and where appearances matter and that you're in a particular climate, or culture that doesn't accept that um, it could be very challenging actually and I just thought what you said about the the crusty middle as you called it what I found I, I've just finished uh, I say just before Christmas but I just finished drafting up um, a report on hybrid working um, uh, for DWG a research report and one of the things that came out of my research was the importance of managers to enable hybrid working because the role that they have can evolve into something that really facilitates these new ways of working or these flexible ways of working, adaptive ways of working. And they have such a role to play in helping people navigate that. Um, And so they are important, I think. Um, This idea that they're crusty, that they are bottlenecks and all the rest, um, they have such a role to play as things change. and Paul, how does how do you feel about that as well? About this idea of the middle layer of people within an organisation. Um, I, I think it's perhaps inevitable, and I think uh, you know as soon as you, if you like, nail your colours to a mast, as soon as you take one particular approach, you by definition kind of avoid other approaches. So the sort of upsides of having a business book that looks like a coffee table book about nature is that it looks like a coffee table book about nature. And and so it's it's attracted a senior, quite diverse group of senior uh, uh, leaders inside organisations like Adobe, Microsoft, Ikea, Estee Lauder. Um, but it also hasn't attracted every single one of them. And and it's also attracted a, as you said, Shim, uh, a, a younger group of, of people who are coming into the world of work or are, um, uh, are, are just kind of making their uh, first steps in it and really want to make a difference. Um, so I, I think inevitably the people who, whether we call them, you know, middle managers, etc., they feel that they don't have agency. And it's probably true that they don't have agency. Um, I mean, I spoke to somebody in, in a an international government institution um, yesterday who's, who's number two in that institution. And that person can make a difference there. Other people inside that organisation probably feel a lot less able to do it. But one of the things I just wanted to kind of pick up on was um, uh, the, the, the emphasis on on case studies on um, real life stories. Uh, Mark, you talked about the questions at the end of each of the chapters. And and my experience has been in the last year that people very quickly get the idea that organisations are actually living systems. I, I actually um, uh, got invited to a trade delegation with the, the Finnish ambassador to the UK and gave him a copy of the book because it quotes Nokia quite extensively. And people in Finland, not surprisingly, uh, love Nokia. And he was saying, so this is the idea that organisations are like organisms. And he said, could you look at a country like that? And so we, you know, obviously I said yes. Um, and, And actually... What we're starting to see is people saying, how do I bring this into practice? How do I enable this inside the organization? And that's really, I think, the the challenge um, that, that, if you like, nature worked the book, uh, we in this conversation um, face. And I've been asked increasingly 
please bring us more of these stories, more of the examples. And that's what we want to do in the podcast. And we're going to be having a YouTube channel as well. And, and Lucy, do you have any kind of thoughts on, on this? Uh, I'm, we're almost being kind of led to come up with frameworks, models, stories that that can bring this concept of the living organisation to life inside organisations. And it's both exciting, a little bit daunting, to be honest. Yes, yes, I think so. Um, so I think the, this idea, I guess, looking at nature for inspiration and finding inspiration in nature isn't itself particularly new. Um, so, you know, over centuries, over decades, we've seen lots of examples of engineers, designers, lots of different people taking inspiration from nature. I think what is new is that over the last few years, um, the idea of using biomimicry in business, I think that that's what's, what's new and that's really taken off over the last couple of years, particularly during the pandemic. Um, I think before that, a lot of companies were thinking more and more about their staff, about the people. So how engaged are they? How satisfied are they? Um, are they enjoying the work they're doing? Uh, you know, the ways that people are working. And I think treating employees like living beings or organisms rather than a cog in a machine is something that lots of companies are keen to do. And have already started out on their journey towards this more sort of human-centered, life-centered uh, ways of working. But I think a challenge for Biomispire Business is that in the past, it has always been more theoretical than practical. There are lots of books and TED Talks and, and, and things online about this subject, but it is quite rare to find clear business case studies, which I think, as I said, is where, where your book, Nature of Work, really stands out. I think it's not enough now to read about or hear about these ideas. People want to know how they can put them into practice within their own teams and, and organisations. I think particularly, as you say, if they're perhaps not the CEO of a company, what if you are a line manager or what if you've only been working three, four years in a company or even less? What if you're a graduate and you're just joining a company? How can you incorporate some of these ideas and principles into the work that you're doing? And that is a, a challenge, I think, that all of us in this space are, are working on. So that's what I'm aiming to do at WorkWild, is bringing this idea of learning from nature to life at work and making it practical and applicable. Um, and yeah, I think it's going to be a bit of a journey. So I think it's trial and error. I've been doing workshops over the last few few months. Um, obviously, COVID now has got in the way a little bit because people are more reticent to, to invite consultants into their, into their offices. But yes, I think over the next few months and years, I think it is going to be a process of trial and error to kind of pin down those models or as you say the frameworks the questions the workshop structures you know how can we bring this into work in a practical way uh, as i think you're right i think that's what people are really looking for now yeah and and, and mark do you have any um thoughts on this um people saying how do we bring this to life on the other hand you're saying actually there's an awful lot of people who are so uh pressured in what they're doing already that then faced with the uh, rather daunting idea that your organisation is not a machine, you're a living system, and now you need to see things differently through that, can seem quite overwhelming. Yes, it, it, and it can. So I run workshops, and you may recall that our framework for our research is called Living Office. And exactly this whole idea, the reason we did that is that it, and, it, it, and that is actually based on a quote from our first head of research who said human organizations have always been natural places of change reflecting the organic nature of life what is different now is the pace of change and the prospect that it will become faster and faster and that was in 1968 by a guy called robert Probst, and that became the basis of our concept of living office and this whole idea that what we need to do is constantly review things, constantly look at things, constantly refresh things. It, it is never perfect. And I quote from a, a, a guy I know very well, Neil Usher, who says, workplace should always be in beta mode. And I think that would be the same that, that applies to companies. But this whole idea that something that's living needs looking after, needs caring, needs nurturing, needs loving, uh, all of those things. Uh, and I come back to the middle of management. When I do those living office workshops, that is often 
the sticking points because they see new ways of working as challenging their authority rather than increasing their opportunities. You're absolutely right. It can seem quite quite threatening. But one of the things that I I think the book has brought home to me is and, and obviously we, we started writing it pre COVID and then it came out during COVID and that in a way has fundamentally changed the environment into which the book has been launched because work itself has been under scrutiny and debated in a way that we've never seen before. But one of the things that I do feel is that in in more than 30 years of working with particularly large organisations, I've never known a period where they were as confused, uh, unsure, uh, uncertain and and lacking in true vision of where work's going. I think they've latched on to the concept of hybrid almost as a kind of uh, life raft, uh, just as something that can provide some kind of way through things. But I think there's a, I think that this is to me um, the power that the idea of organisations as being alive has which is it offers, and and as you've said, Lucy, nature itself offers a different, almost like a different set of glasses to look through, a different lens to see work through. That if you start to see it as a natural system, I mean, this idea that that change is going to get faster has been around as well for, for an awful long time. But if you look at nature, it's not about the speed of change. It's about the rhythm of change. Um, you know, to me, if I think of the living office, I don't think of rapidity. Um, I think of things happening in a natural and more flowing, flowing way. I have to say, if I, you, you mentioned this idea of the rhythm of change and Lucy, you touched upon this idea of frameworks and something that came to mind for me was the adaptive cycle of nature because Lucy I know you ran a workshop look using the adaptive cycle for change during nature of work live um, I referenced it in a piece of work about organizational readiness last year um, I've joined um, a workshop course for the next couple of weeks which is looking at regenerative futures and one of the first things we have to do is fill out a worksheet using the adaptive cycle to reflect on where we are in our own careers and it's this idea of seasonal change, the idea of birth and regrowth, of creative destruction, of and all of those things. And I think they're one of the ways in which this can be brought to life inside organisations is having those frameworks that can be adapted to different contexts and force us to think through what does this mean for us. And what I wanted to ask next was, because this idea of the adaptive cycle is very much, I think to me, it makes me think of seasons. You know, I, I talk about last year as having been a winter season for me, a winter for me, whereas this year feels like it's going to be more of a, a spring for me um, in terms of how I feel. Um, and seasons was actually an element that we were originally going to have in the book, but discarded because we realised there was so much overlap with the idea of life cycle. Um, and so, Lucy, I was curious, maybe just starting with you, this idea of the 12 elements, are there any that feel particularly resonant for you in the work that you do or that, that resonate with you more than others? Yes, absolutely. Um, I guess, like you say, they all they do kind of overlap in a way. You know, it's it's fabulous, but at the same time, quite tricky about all these natural principles they are all interlinked and it's almost impossible to pick on one without touching on at least one or at least a few other ones. Um, but I think, yes, absolutely the ones to do with change and resilience. So as you say, life cycles, um, exploring nature's regenerative processes, how can we reframe change and uncertainty? Um, so I think a lot's what businesses and that's what managers are thinking now, you know, how can we build a business or a team that is resilient, that adapts and evolves to the world around it in the aftermath of COVID when so many businesses had to undergo such huge amounts of change um, in what they were doing? 
And obviously, some businesses, unfortunately, haven't made it through. Others have had to pivot and change what they're doing quite significantly, quite drastically. Um, and so they're looking to create teams and organizations that are robust. They're not fragile and rigid, but they're resilient and ever-changing and evolving. They're not destroyed by these uh, in, you know, unprecedented environmental changes, but taking them in their stride and, and continuing to, to thrive into, into the future. Um, but I think what's important about this idea of change is that it's not change for change's sake. You know, I think in the business world, we hear a lot of people talking about this fast pace of change, you know, hustling harder, being agile, coming up with, with um, new ideas and innovating and ideating all of the time. Um, and I think obviously we are on a, a forward trajectory. I think it's great to be thinking about the future and thinking about coming up with new ways of doing things. But I think what we learn from nature is this idea of listening and responding. So any kind of change, whether that's internal inside your business or, or um, external going on in the world around you, you need to listen to what's going on and then respond to that. And it's that response that can instigate change within a business. Um, so I don't think anyone would advocate change for change's sake. You know, Mark, I'm sure you're not you know, just telling people to change their, their work spaces or the way that they've designed their offices just for the hell of it. You know, it's it's very much based on insight. It's based on um, responding to the changes that are going on in the world around us, in the environment. And that's how nature functions as well. So basing those changes on, on feedback as to what's going on around it at the time. Um, and then I guess another one of the elements, purpose, because, of course, we're all sort of hopefully coming out the other side of this pandemic soon and thinking to ourselves, what are we doing here? You know, what a lot of business leaders are looking at their businesses and thinking, does this actually do what I want it to do? Does what we do contribute to the environment or the community that we find ourselves in? What is our overarching purpose? You know, if our business disappeared, what impact would that actually have on the world? You know, would people miss us or not really? So what cooperative relationships could we develop to further embed our business into the fabric of the environment that we find ourselves in? Um, so I think a lot of people are finding that businesses that support the community around them, that support the world around them, will find that in times of upheaval, the community or the world around them will support them. In, in as well. So weaving yourself into the world, finding those places where you can create mutual symbiotic relationships with other organizations, um, you know, in a kind of you scratch my bag, I scratch yours type of relationship. But all of these relationships, they ladder up, they weave you into the environment that you're in, and they create more of a resilient uh, a business, more of a resilient environment that you find your business in. So yeah, I think out of the elements, life cycles and thinking about regeneration, regrowth, rebirth, and then purpose as well. So thinking, what are we doing here? And are we actually contributing to our world rather than just perhaps using the resources that we find there? That really feels like one of the big challenges is um, the idea of an organisation being interconnected with its environment and not separate from it. Um, it's one of the things that uh, Donna Nellum and I spoke about during Each of Work Live, the idea of permeable boundaries for an organisation instead of this idea of being a closed loop and mm. how um, damaging to the health of the organisation but also the community that is to approach an organisation in that way instead of seeing instead of seeing everyone as potential competition and you need to be a closed shop but actually looking through how are we interconnected with communities, with families, with the local economy, the global economy and what role can we play to help strengthen those things and that wider ecosystem so that we and ourselves are then stronger. Um, I think the global pandemic has brought home just how interconnected everything really is. And so honouring that in the way that we work and our work practices, I think, is going to be uh, one of those big challenges over the next few years. Um, and Mark, how about you? I know I assume habitats is a big one yep. for the work that Absolutely. you do. <laughs> which, which, yes. which particularly resonate? Yeah, habitats, absolutely. Um, and I kind of, I often start talks by saying that place affects people and people affect place. So I do think we have to accept that habitats, you know, there are some, uh, you know, flora and fauna that survives well in certain habitats and other and doesn't in others and then there are some surprises where you find that some people some have survived in habitats that they should never have survived in uh, as well but i do think 
place absolutely affects behavior. And I always turn to the example of IKEA and their shops. You know, IKEA is designed to make you spend money and they do it extremely well. You go in for one thing and you come out with 20 and the whole experience is that Habitat is there to encourage and support the behavior. So I do think Habitats, and I do think there are also virtual Habitats as well. So so I'm not just talking about desks and, you know, but the way that, that, that meetings are. But Habitats affect people. But I also say that people affect places. And I think that's really important. Going back to your point about, you know, relationships and connections, that really does matter because you can be in the most awful restaurant. But if you're with some good friends, you can have a great time. Do you know what I mean? It's kind of that actually it, it, it it's habitats aren't everything, that it, there are lots of things that, that work together. But but Habitats for me is the one that stands out. And I also want to echo Lucy's point about purpose. This for me is the almost one of our most important fundamental human needs of, as individuals and therefore as companies. And I think it's been under huge focus in the last two years. Whoever ever would have thought we'd have started talking about essential businesses. We never used to use that terminology and now we do. And that's why a lot of people are saying, okay, what is what difference am I actually making to the world? And I talk about people that do design workplaces to say you are you're might not be doing the same work as a doctor and a nurse and a carer, but you're stopping people having to go to the doctors, the nurses and the carers because you're giving them great environments. So giving them that sense of purpose. But I do think purpose is interesting. It's it's one and there's some work and I can't remember the two guys that did it that say that a lower those with the lowest sense of purpose have a higher sense have a higher rate of mortality that is kind of scary and it often affects our health and our well-being when we don't have a sense of purpose and i would say that's the same for humans as it is for for organizations i don't know if you've ever been unemployed or you've uh, you know you your sense of purpose disappears and suddenly your health is affected a lot of you know i'm coming towards the end of my career, I'm thinking about what does my retirement look like? Where do I get my sense of purpose from? Because it will affect me. You know, my my father died within six months of my mother dying because he lost, he just kind of gave up. You know, he, he, he it, it, there wasn't a specific event, but he'd kind of given up. So purpose for me is out of everything you've talked about is absolutely what what is the purpose. And there are purposes at different levels you know there are there are things in the, the in nature that we could never survive with without and they have a bigger purpose than others but we shouldn't judge each other by one person's sense of purpose you know driving a bus has got as much purpose as someone running a big multinational organization but purpose for me does matter both on an individual level and uh, on a corporate level and actually, that will lead me to go back to this ask yourself section discussion I had with you earlier. Because what I like about it is in the ask yourself question, when you say yourself, you're talking sometimes to the company at the corporation, which, of course, corporation is made up of people. But then time, sometimes you're asking those questions of the individuals. And the one around the ones around purpose, I think, are the ones where we've got if we start asking ourselves as individuals, that contributes to the corporation and the community. Yeah, and I think I think the um, this focus on purpose, I think, is I think for me, that's the element that sort of underpins all the others. And I would say the question that's being in, has been asked in the last two years is what's the purpose of work what's the purpose of my work what's the purpose of our work what is the purpose of work and um i think one thing that encourages me i mean paul polman when he was ceo of unilever was extremely influential and and set them on this journey that they're now on to become the world's largest B or better corporation with all the kind of environmental standards around it. And in his post Unilever 
work. He wrote a book about organizations and the world of work having to make a net positive contribution to the world. So a net positive contribution can't be we just made an awful lot of money for our shareholders and that's our contribution. It has to be a far richer, more diverse and more overall positive contribution. And I think this you you almost can't escape this question of what is the purpose of your organization? What is the purpose of your own work? And I think you put it beautifully, Mark, that there's a bus driver, somebody working in a supermarket, somebody working as the CEO of Unilever, don't fundamentally have, if you like, different grades of purpose. There's purpose in, in, in every single role, depending on how you, how you approach it and what's, uh, what's being required. So just to kind of uh, end, and, and first I'd love to come to you, uh, Lucy. So so it's a year on from um, publishing Nature of Work, and that's my fourth book that I've either authored or co-authored. With all the other books, they, 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 they kind of made an impact, but they didn't, as, and I don't want to kind of, kind of aggrandize this, but the thing that quite a few people have said is that this is this is part of a movement because it's the idea of organizations as living systems has been around for 30 years uh, all that um, shim and i did really uh, was was bring it together uh, re kind of repackage it in a way and, and and what's your hope or even prediction for for nature of work if you like as a movement in the next 12 months Lucy? Yes, well, I think as we've said, it's definitely the right idea at the right time. I think now more than ever, people are looking for new ways of working. They've been confronted with all these upheavals, all these changes due to the pandemic, and they've realised that what they've been doing for the last five, ten years just isn't serving them anymore. Um, And so people are looking for new ways of doing things. Um, And I think increasingly the idea of biomimicry, so not just, you know, bio-inspired work, but biomimicry itself. So uh, in lots of different fields, I think we are going to be seeing it in even more spaces and places. So today we talked about organizational development, but I think um, engineering, product design, interior design, as Mark was talking about, biophilic design. Um, I know there's clothing brands, fashion brands. I think this taking inspiration from nature and emulating nature, learning from nature rather than about nature, I think is really going to be, as you say, a movement. And I think it's going to start becoming the norm, I hope, um, over the next few years, if not this year. Um, I hope that more and more organisations will start to adopt this way of working and seek to connect with and take inspiration from nature because it is the most effective way of doing things. Nature is efficient, is sustainable. Um, you know, we talk about these things like circular economy, being agile, um, adapting and evolving. Nature is all of these things. Um, and on top of that, I think it's what employees want. I think it's what people want. They want to work in an environment that is healthy, um, that is sustainable. They're doing effective work with a strong purpose. They feel c- connected to their uh, colleagues, um, the people they're working with and they're working for, uh, and they're enjoying their life and they're taking satisfaction from the work that they're doing. So, yeah, I really do hope that nature of work or bio-inspired business or biomimicry, whatever you want to call it, I really do hope it, it takes off over the next 12 months. And um, Mark, what's your uh, hope slash prediction? Okay, so my thoughts are this. You, your challenge is how do you get this to the masses in a very digestible way? And if uh, I'm a bit of a music buff and I love the idea that sometimes concept albums are great, <laughs> but somehow you've got to get a you've got to get a pop song out of it if you want to get the airtime. And I think you have so much rich material that what it needs and what I see is an executive summary, and that can be done in very many ways. And you've already talked about getting the message out there. And I know you've done it already through your podcast, but making it uh, digestible so that the message gets out. This message should not die. It should live uh, as we've talked about here but somehow you've got to get that message out there and i think that's your challenge for the next 12 months is how you communicate these in 
in bite-sized chunks. Sadly, we're in a bite-sized world. And uh, that is, you know, the, the more than ever, it's that kind of how do you compact that and get that message out in digestible chunks. And I think that is, that's, that's for me where I see the future of this. It's more than just a book. It's a, it's a series of messages. Mm. So, Shim, we, we're going to have to come up with a single from this album. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I you're love abs- that metaphor. Yes, you, yeah, Mark. yeah, yeah. No, that's a great that's a great challenge for us, Mark. And um, and um, I think you're absolutely right. And um, uh, uh, Shim, any final thoughts from you? I think I, I just want to say thank you to the two of you because I think you, you both um, thankfully accepted to come and join us on this anniversary episode and that you weren't chosen out of the blue. I think both of you have been so pivotal for the for Paul and myself over the last year in helping us, um, in pushing us, in challenging us, in helping give us a platform into your world and in coming into our world and sharing your expertise. Um, and it's just been... I'm so grateful to, to having had that connection with the two of you and to you joining us. Um, and so thank you so much for coming again onto our episode, onto our podcast and sharing your thoughts and challenging us because I think that's what we need. This needs to be a cooperative movement, um, a collaborative movement where no one person holds all the answers. It's going to have to happen with all of us working together. Um, and just, yeah, so thank you. And I'm also incredibly pleased that I am not COVID-ridden this time as I was a year ago and I will actually remember having this conversation unlike <laughs> I did on our, on our book launch with you Mark a year ago so yes thank you um, and on that unless there are any final words from you Paul I'm gonna sign no. off uh, thank you so much Lucy thank you Mark and it's been a pleasure um, talking to you thank you very much for your time thank you thank you The Nature Work Podcast is produced by the Digital Workplace Group, a strategic partner and boutique consultancy supporting more than 100 leading organizations to advance their digital workplaces. For more information, visit digitalworkplacegroup.com. This is Paul Miller wishing you well until next time. the book and it arriving in the post and it just being such a, a work of beauty you know you open it up it's full of all those wonderful full color photos I've got it on the desk in front of me here it's it's really great experience flicking through it and I guess what it's left me with is just this sense of uh, hope I suppose and excitement because nature inspired work or bio inspired work and business it seems to be really gaining ground um, around the world now 